Are you accepting it? No, of course no. not. Rubbish. The government is not accepting it. Welcome to Two Grumpy Hacks, the podcast. I'm Malcolm Farr, and of course, we're with Dennis Atkins. And this is the year of the fire hose of falsehood. Hello and welcome to Two Grumpy Hacks, the podcast number 41, the final one, the wrap-up for this so accurately named year of the fire hose of falsehood. But it's also been the year in which women... Uh, directed a lot of the political debate and conversation. Uh, and we are very fortunate to have the assistance, Dennis, of, of two women from the press gallery, uh, Sarah Ison from the West Australia. Hi, it's so great to be with the Grumpy Hacks. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Uh, hey. Up from the Community Radio Network. Hello, ma'am. Hello. Hi, Amanda. Okay. Now, Dennis, um, women were so important in this year. Uh, and can I, I don't think I've run through the names again. <laughs> Brittany Higgins, Grace Tame, Kate uh, Jenkins, um, uh, Bridget uh, Archer, and, of course, Jenny Morrison, who set her husband straight on a pretty basic point that most people would have uh, understood beforehand. Um, will the so-called women's issue feature in this coming election and whom might it benefit? Uh, well, I think it will. I mean, I, I think it, it already is. Uh, and I think that that's quite apparent um, from the fact that, that so many independent women have put their hands up in, in seats that on paper look like sort of a bit marginal to reasonably safe liberal seats. So seats that are sort of within about a couple of percent or going up to five or six or so percent. Uh, but they're seats that are um, what used to be called, uh, back in the John Howard days, doctor's wives seats. Um, I'm not sure what you'd call them now. Uh, yeah. I think angry women seats might, <laughs> might, might perhaps be uh, a description for them because a lot of them, uh, a lot of the sentiment that, that is emerging in these seats is coming from women who are pretty angry. They're, they're, they're angry about climate change because they don't think the government is doing enough. They're angry about account accountability. They don't think the government is being accountable. And they're very angry about uh, the way that um, the government and the Prime Minister in particular has responded or failed to respond uh, appropriately or, or sincerely enough to uh, issues affecting women's safety and, and women's uh, position in society this year. Um, it's been an amazing year. Um, you know, it, there have been things that have happened um, in terms of sort of exposés of the treatment of women and, and, uh, and then reactions to that, um, that that I've never seen before. I've, I've been quite um, sort of... You know, surprised by the number of women uh, who have said to me, you know, I've never marched before, but I've marched on this issue. And also the number of blokes I know who have said, my wife is out marching. She's never done that before. Um, so, yes, you know, it, it, it is an issue. It has been an issue and it will be an issue. 
Um, and uh, I, I'm not sure that the Prime Minister, even though he told us in such emphatic terms in that uh, rather train wrecky press conference uh, at the beginning of the year that he gets it, I'm not sure he does. No, uh, there's not a, a, an overwhelming amount of evidence for that. Just to point out, uh, Sarah and Amanda have their own podcast, of course. It's called Bubble Pop, the bubble being the Canberra one that the Prime Minister has used to uh, avoid accountability, essentially. Uh, Sarah, g given what Dennis said, and, and he's right, there, there are strong independent women candidates in seats you know, from you know, McKellar to Goldstein and, uh, and elsewhere... Um, should they be relying on climate change alone or do you think that they will be able to get a message through to the ordinary electorates? I mean, you're, 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 you've, you've seen how media have covered uh, these issues. Do you think they're, they're, uh, they're being uh, heeded by the, your rank-and-file punter? Look, I think climate change is a really big one and particularly after this year we've seen uh, really uh, strongly kind of how important it is on, on the world scale and how badly Australia does, right? Like at the COP26, we ranked last uh, in that sense. So I do think climate change is definitely something that people do care about, but I do think it needs to be, you're right, there needs to be a focus beyond that and beyond climate change. I think what Dennis was saying about some of those seats, unrest in those seats, people are angry about climate change, but they're angry about a lot of stuff, um, women's issues, uh, as well being one of them and all kinds. So I think it's about galvanising all of that, right? Uh, the 2019 election, we kind of talked about it being an election of the quiet Australians. That's what Morrison likes to say. I reckon this one coming up, it, it's going to be something of the opposite. There's so much, you know, anger and unrest and frustration from all kinds of different people, um, women particularly, uh, people who care about climate change, young people who are frustrated about a range of issues. So I think it's about tapping into all of that kind of emotion and just saying we want to do better, not just to, you know, on climate, but more broadly. I think it's a strong message and I think, I think it's something that will resonate with a lot of different people, with a lot of different people, whether they're women or, or, or young people or, or maybe they're, you know, um, fathers and, and stuff who, who also, like Morrison, uh, have to kind of look at women just as they, you know, care about it once they can care about women's issues once they uh, can see it as, uh, imagine if that was my daughter or whatever it was Jenny said to him. Um, but I reckon by, yeah, you know, springboarding off that unrest, I think there's a bit of, there's a strength in that message. Uh, you're with two grumpy hacks and we have uh, the insights, uh, Dennis and I, uh, very very delighted to uh, have the insights of Sarah Ison and Amanda Kopp, uh, who uh, work in the press gallery, and uh, we've asked them on because it's part of a campaign for a better podcast future. Um, uh, Amanda, you would have seen in detail, probably more detail than, than you could bear, uh, Kate Jenkins' report. Did you recognise the Parliament House in that report uh, was it the same one that you have worked in? Yes. Uh, so I think that the unfortunate thing for a lot of women in this building is that you do see the kinds of circumstances that were outlined in the Jenkins report 
in your own life or in friends' lives or in stories that are just told around the gallery and and between staffers. So I think that that is probably the, the saddest thing about that report is that it came out and everyone said, oh, how appalling, how terrible, look at how could these things happen? But particularly working here in these halls is you look around and you think, yeah, I know that that happened to my friend or that happened to me. Um, and that that's the saddest thing. So I definitely saw the reality of that report. Uh, and I really think that it is something that needs to come out is that like the report said that parliament house should be the kind of the standard that everyone else is living up to. And here we are kind of, you know, decades behind a lot of the corporate world in circumstances where, you know, there are things happening here that would never happen in, in other workplaces. Yeah, that's very sad. Um, now, moving on a bit for uh, looking at what will be talked about in the coming election, um, this government hasn't done very much. It, it, it's, it's as if uh, it created a department of inertia, which has been in charge of uh, everything for the last three years. Uh, we, we, we've had a, a hugely inactive prime minister in terms of s substantial policy, lots of announcements. We've got announcements coming out of our um, speaker's chair. Um, uh, look, it, it, there have been dozens of them and, and not a hell of a lot of follow through. And primarily, uh, we've had a prime minister more concerned about uh, avoiding accountability and making miserable little political uh, points uh, rather than having an overhaul of, uh, of national policy. Dennis, I know you feel pretty strongly about this inertia. Um, can you outline it for us? I'm, I'm completely uh, overtaken by the inertia of this government. It's, it, I've got to say, after after this year, it sort of left me uh, wondering whether or not um, you know I can bear any more. Um, you know, I mean, it would be nice uh, for for the government to you know to do something that looked a bit beyond just their day job, if you like, you know, sort of, and they, they're, they're always telling us how terrific it is that they're doing their day, day job. And that's good. I'm pleased that they are. Now, now it's made a, it, 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 I'd mark them down a bit because they don't always do it as well as they could. But, um, you know, at the start of the year, I remember the prime minister was at the press club and he was asked about, you know, what else are you going to do? Cause he said, he said, look, you know, he famously said my, my, my big jobs were, you know, the vaccine rollout and um, uh, and and quarantine. <laughs> uh, he hates being reminded of that because um, uh, he sort of didn't do quite so well on either of those things. But anyway, but he said, look, um, he, he said, look, uh, you know, having a vision uh, for the future is a bit of a vanity project. Well, no, it's not. Sorry, Prime Minister, it's not a vanity project. It's actually what you're there for is to have a vision for the future of the country, to explain it and to find ways to implement it. And then we get to the end of the year and the Treasurer of Australia stands up and he outlines a reform platform for the digital uh, for digital currencies. And I, I sort of looked at myself um, as you know because I was the only person around. And I thought I thought you know you've got to be kidding. You know sort of didn't he say to Treasury is that all you got? I mean yes this is important. Yes it needs to be done. But for God's sake, you know go back and read the Henry report on the taxation system and find something that actually means something and could be done to reform 
the country, make it a better functioning country and put more money into businesses and into people's pockets instead of, you know, trying to work out whether or not we're going to have a cryptocurrency, you know, you know, for the, for the love of whatever, you know, I'm sorry, sorry, you know. To be fair on the um on the treasury people though they they have been very busy over the last two years with JobKeeper and and all and all the uh, financial stuff but yes I absolutely agree with you Dennis. Yeah, um, you know and and you know just can I just sort of take, if, I, if I could sort of wind back a bit I just wanted to sort of I I just finished reading Jess Hill's fantastic quarterly essay The Reckoning which I mm-hmm. recommend to everybody you know if you're going to read something over christmas and you want to feel miserable about your country read this Uh, it it is it is depressing but it is a vital piece of reading it sort of sums up what's happened in the whole debate about the lot of australian women over the last 12 to 18 months and there's a, a fantastic sort of quote that she comes up with from Catherine murphy where uh our friend at the guardian where she talks about um, you know, sort of trying to unlock the code of uh, Prime Minister Morrison. And um, and she says that the Prime Minister speaks almost exclusively to one cohort, cohort of voters, men at risk of voting Labor. Now, I think that Catherine is dead right at that, uh, when she says that. So, you know, I, I, I read that and I thought, yeah, that's a really good point. I... I um, uh, I'll make sure I think about that when I'm thinking about and writing about this election. And then this morning, for goodness sake, a friend of mine sent me a text message saying what the Prime Minister had said in, in this is being recorded on Thursday morning, a few Thursdays before Christmas. The Prime Minister is asked what he thinks of the proposal to build a big ute, a giant ute. <laughs> and... and if, if I could indulge everyone, this is what the Prime Minister of Australia said. I love utes. How good are utes? How good would a big ute be? That's what I would say. Look, I think that the iconic nature of Australian tourist attractions everywhere in the country. So you know, he was sort of riffing on utes and then he sort of wheeled himself back and started to say, well, utes are about jobs and I want jobs and I want everyone driving utes. But, you know, you've got to be kidding. How good are utes and how good would a big ute be? I'm sorry, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get a fork and shove it in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Look, look, he's a flim-flam man and and the the, the election campaign is going to be, you know, one long rolling uh, episode of stunts. Um, But... Another issue that will come up will be the character of the Prime Minister, uh, minuscule as it might be. And one thing I've noticed, and perhaps others, uh, is that there's been a tendency through the years for people to expect, in people in politics, to expect their lies to be uh, tolerated and, even worse, for them to be rewarded for their lies, and you know, that, that includes you know, the, the, the standard bullheads, uh, you know, George Christensen and Craig Kelly and, uh, and others, but also the Prime Minister, who's giving Boris Johnson a run for his money in terms of um, uh, the malarkey stakes. Uh, and uh, the Prime Minister's character obviously will be raised by Labor. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Sarah, do you think that voters um, will give a tinker's cuss about that? Will, will, or will they vote according to their um, better interests? 
Uh, look, I thought voters wouldn't care because, you know, Labor spent a lot of time telling us that Scott Morrison is a liar. Um, you know, for a while there, I thought it wouldn't really cut through. But there have been a lot of people, the more I've spoken to different people of different, you know, inclinations in voting and age and so on, a lot of people are talking about, you know, how this guy just lies all the time and I think the reason being that they're just quite high profile lies like I think the French example being the best about you know the French president saying I don't think I know Scott Morrison lied to me and then Morrison leaking texts and all of that I think you know that was not only very a very graphic example of his character but also one on the world stage it's not just one about you know him versus labor or you know when he said Oh, I told Anthony Albanese that I was in Hawaii and then had to retract that because that's not exactly what he said. He told Anthony he was going to be on leave. He didn't tell him where he was going. But, you know, th- those domestic kind of things I think people can write off more, but particularly on a world stage and the the whole, um, you know, globe talking about this and kind of pointing Australia. And, yeah, it's a little bit funny if you never chuckle about it. But I think there's also an element of it that it does – cut through with voters and punters about this is the this is the character of the the pm of australia you know and then that's been very much capitalized on and will continue to be as you said by labor um so i do think there isn't a, a, actually a greater element of cut through than i was expecting i thought people wouldn't care but i do think there's been some really visual really um poignant examples uh from the pm that have given people food for thought when it comes to, you know, the character of this guy and will potentially uh, impact how, how they vote, to be honest, because, yeah, otherwise, you know, it's, otherwise it's like what you were, both of you were saying there for a bit was what policy like, what else would they be voting on really mm. <laughs> beyond that? Mm, mm, mm. Look, I, I, I have a feeling, and it's probably yeah, cynical to be, to be of any value, but I, I just have mm. this feeling that... Uh, uh, in terms of accountability, Scott Morrison uh, has told himself that, well, look, uh, I'm I'm prime minister on the orders of God, so I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to wear any uh, mere mortals telling me that I've done something wrong. <laughs> um, now, that might be too harsh. I doubt it, though, really. Now, uh, if we could just go, uh, Amanda, to how the Labor Party will exploit this. Now we know. We know, uh, well, from today, for example, a repeat that uh, Anthony Albanese has said that the only way to end the climate wars was to vote Labor, and he's come up with some policies to help uh, post-high school education of kiddies. Uh, are they going to be... Um, they, and, and we're going to hear some more policies from Labor. But do you think Anthony Albanese uh, has uh, has the looks of a Prime Minister? And I know that sounds cosmetic but uh, and superficial, but do you think people look at him and say, yeah, yeah that, that bloke could... Well, I think a pretty poignant phrase that someone mentioned to me yesterday, just which kind of ties the two things together, is that the sort of general feeling in uh, in punterland, I guess, is that people don't really like Scott Morrison because of those sort of you know they're they're a bit skeptical of of the things that he's said and and backtracked on, but equally people are not convinced by Anthony Albanese. And so as to whether that feeling of distrust with Scott Morrison actually translates into people switching their vote to Anthony Albanese, who, to be honest, a lot of people, you know, they don't really know who he is or or what he stands for. Um, Whether they actually switch their vote to Labor, I think is yet 
to be seen. And I think that Labor is trying to walk this really very, very fine line where they were so burnt by the last 2019 election where, you know, Bill Shorten as the opposition leader came out with this huge policy portfolio where it was economic reforms, it was childcare reforms, it was education, it was climate, uh, and people just got overwhelmed and were like, you know what, that all sounds like a little bit too much big change and I'm just going to stick with the other guy who we, you know, we know is, is kind of safe and, and stable. And so Labor is trying to avoid doing that again by having that kind of big vision sort of policy structure. They're, they're doing the kind of small target strategy at the moment. But I think that the the fallout of, of that strategy strategy that they currently have is that people just aren't really hearing that much about what Labor is doing or what they stand for. I've talked to many, many people um, from different sort of demographics and some people don't even know who the opposition leader is. So they don't even know who Anthony, Anthony Albanese is. Uh, and then number two, if they do know who he is, they don't really know what his policies are. They don't really see him on TV. They don't hear him on the radio. They don't see him in the papers. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the cost of having this sort of small target. And I think to, to sort of follow on a bit from what Dennis was saying at the beginning in terms of being disappointed by uh, policy announcements, I remember when, um, you know, Labor has started bringing out all of their policies in the lead up to the election. But I remember they, they came out a, a couple of months ago with, you know, a, a kind of social housing policy, which to be fair is very needed in Australia. There's a massive lack of, of social housing and there's massive wait times and that's, you know, bad. Uh, but, you know, they came up with this huge policy and that, you know, Labor's housing solution. And I was like, well, guys, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the people who that speaks to are already voting Labor. So, you know, it's those kinds of policies where they come up with these sort of announcements where I think, you know, is that really that strategic in terms of switching people's votes to, to Labor? Yeah, yeah. All right, we might end it there. Look, uh, Sarah Ison from the uh, West Australian and Amanda Cox from the Community Radio Network, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it, it was uh, brilliant that you added to uh, oh, relieve some of the grumpiness of Dennis and myself. Thanks for coming on and, uh, and making us uh, sound uh, even more intelligent than we, uh, than we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which isn't that hard. Goes both ways. Yeah. We, we have another woman to thank, and that is the brilliant Natasha McFarlane, who's been our producer for oh, a couple of years, who's now gone to join the ABC in Darwin, where she will no doubt be running the joint uh, in the next uh, year or so. Thank you, Tash. You, you've been an absolute gem. Uh, and not only do we adore, adore you personally, but I love your work. Keep it up. You're going to be a triumph up there, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so yet again, um, Merry Christmas to you all. And Dennis, uh, for the very last time, uh, it's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from me.